little boy was kneeling next to his bed saying his nighttime prayers. His mom was on one side of him, his grandma was on the other side. He was praying to God and he was saying, Lord, bless mommy and daddy and bless brother and sister and bless grandma and give me a good night's rest. And he paused and then he looked upward and he said real loud, his volume just raised several notches. He said, and don't forget to give me a bicycle for my birthday. And his mother said, Johnny, there's no need to shout like that. God is not deaf. And Johnny said, no, but grandma is. (laughs) A lot of truth to that, isn't there? Uh, This is our fifth week on this series uh, on this subject of prayer. And to this point, we have talked about the importance of prayer. Prayer was important to Jesus. It should be important to us too. We've talked about the power of prayer and that God does answer prayer, not just in Bible times, but He answers prayer in the here and now. He answers prayer our prayers. And that's really encouraging. We've looked too at how to pray. And on the screen I have for you that that acrostic that we looked at over these last two weeks that, that show for us the different components of prayer. But as I have said to you more than once, you learn to pray by praying. And I hope that you are taking this challenge to pray seriously. Take the time to pray to God, and it will change you. Prayer changes everything. Sometimes prayer may even change the mind of God. I'm thinking about Hezekiah's illness that we read about in 2 Kings chapter 20. Verse 1 of that chapter says that Hezekiah became mortally ill, and God sent the prophet Isaiah to him, to tell him that he was going to die, that he needed to set his house in order. Hezekiah's response to that message was to pray to God fervently. And his prayer is recorded for us in that chapter. He he cries out to God for mercy and he reasons with God. He says, God, I have been faithful to you. I have led your people in revival. I have eradicated all of the false gods of the land. God! Please, have mercy on me. Well, that kind of a prayer got God's attention. And before Isaiah could even get out of the palace, God was turning him around to go back to Hezekiah and tell him that he now had another 15 years to live. Hezekiah's prayer changed the mind of God. I'm thinking of another time that God changed his mind from a prayer that was prayed. This time it was Moses who prayed. The text is Exodus chapter 32. Maybe you remember Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God. And while he was up there, the people down below became very impatient and they began to give in to their fleshly nature. They created their own God in the form of a golden calf. They began to worship that God. They began to corrupt themselves, the text says. 
The alcohol was flowing, the text says, and so was the immorality, and God had had it up to here with the rebellion of his people. He was set to destroy them, but Moses interceded for them. He prayed that God would not destroy these people, that he would remember the promise. Dusty mentioned God's promises. Moses prayed that God would remember his promise which he had made to Abraham that he would make from him a great nation. And verse 14 of that chapter says this, I quote, So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Indeed, prayer changes everything. And sometimes it may even change the mind of God. Today and next Sunday too, I want us to look at the necessary partners of prayer. In other words, there are some things that if when you pray, you give attention to these things, it will be very, very good. And the first partner that I want to talk about is that we need to be broken before God. And I saw this in Hezekiah's prayer. It said that he wept bitterly. Now, that doesn't mean that he wept with bitterness. Rather, it means that he wept with intensity. He wept loudly with tears. He was broken before God. He cried out to God for mercy. Can you think of anyone else who wept bitterly before God? There was that man Peter in Matthew chapter 26. He denied three times that he knew Jesus and then the rooster crowed just as Jesus said it would. Verse 75 of that chapter says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He was broken before God over his sin. His sorrow led to intense crying. I'm mindful of another one who wept with loud tears or wept loudly with tears. I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. You'll see that it was Jesus who I'm referring to. It says this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus' prayers were filled with brokenness. This, this certainly was the case in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, he was not broken over his own sin, but rather he was broken over our sin and what that, that sacrifice for our sin was going to bring to him. It was going to bring great pain to him and it was going to cause him to be separated from the Father for the very first time ever. makes me wonder, when, when we go to God in prayer, do we, do we come before Him with a humble, broken spirit? 
I'm not implying that we have to be crying and wailing loudly before God all of the time. But what I, I do think the Scripture is very clear about is that we need to come before Him with a humble spirit. We need to be empty of self. That humble spirit is easier for us to have if we gain this perspective of who He is versus who we are. Now think about that. He's the creator. We're the created. And that in itself ought to, ought to call for a humble spirit on our part. He is God and we are not. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're not. He's the one who is in control. We're not. He's the one to be worshipped. We are the worshiper. Now, you'd think that would be easy for us to keep that perspective clear, but it's not, because if, if we're not careful, this can all become so fuzzy to us. Let me remind you of the two men in Luke 18 who came to God in prayer. Both of them were in the temple, but one was way different than the other. The first man was very puffed up. He was proud of who he was. He said this, Lord, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. I am so thankful that I am not like some of these other people around here. I don't commit adultery. I don't swindle people. I don't treat people unjustly. And I am especially thankful that I am not like that tax collector there. He was proud, filled up with himself. He didn't have room in his heart for God. He didn't need God, he thought. And then there was the tax collector who was praying to God. He couldn't hardly even raise his head to look towards God because he was so humiliated. He said, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus said it was that man that went away justified. It was the humble man. It was the man who was broken. He's the one who went away forgiven. But the Pharisee who was full of himself, the, he was proud, he went away condemned. Listen, brethren, we need to come before God with a humble broken spirit. Let me read to you some scriptures that give evidence to that. James 4, 6, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You want God's grace? I do. We've got to come before him with a humble spirit, not a puffed up spirit, not a, not a spirit that says, God, you're just fortunate to have me on your side. No. Psalms 10.17 says, O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. You want God to incline his ear towards you? Then you come before him with a humble, broken spirit. Psalms 9.12 says, He does not forget the cry of the humble. 
Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. We must come before Him with a humble, broken spirit. We are nothing except for His grace that He has lavished upon us. The Bible talks a lot about pride going before a fall. And I was reminded of that truth just this last week in a silly game of racquetball. Every Monday evening, I meet with a group of guys for Bible study, and there's one of those fellows that drives all the way from Joplin to be a part of that group. And, and every Monday before Bible study, which is at 7 o'clock, Troy and I play a game of racquetball at 5 o'clock. And uh, Troy's a very good friend of mine, and we have this friendly game of racquetball, and I use the word friendly rather carefully because we both are very competitive and we both are about even in our racquetball skills. Sometimes I beat him and sometimes he beats me. Well, this last Monday evening, I was on. <laughs> I mean, I, was, I, I, I couldn't do anything wrong the first two games. Every ball I hit was about that far off of the floor and, and rolling out, and it, it, it was good. And I was just destroying him, and he was limping around, and he was complaining about his leg hurting, and, and, and it was obvious. He was hurting. He told me even ahead of the game that he had he'd had an, uh, a problem with his leg the latter part of the week, he almost called me and didn't, didn't play that day, but he went ahead and came. And, and I beat him bad those first two games. And so as the, the second game ended, I, I said to him, Troy, if you're hurting that bad, you know, let's, let's not play. You know, you don't have, you're going to hurt yourself more. And he said, you sound like my mother. Get up there and serve the ball. <laughs> and so... We're ready for the third game, and I'm getting ready to serve. And for some, I had a moment of insanity. I turned to him, and I said, Do you want me to play left-handed this game? I should not. I should not have said that. Because it was like fire coming into his eyes and I, I knew at that moment I had awakened the beast within him. And the next two games, he destroyed me. I couldn't do anything right. He couldn't do anything wrong. It was just the opposite of the first two games. And I was reminded that whether it's on a racquetball court or in the game of life, as we move our way through life, if we become puffed up with ourself, if we get proud... Guess what's around the corner? A fall is coming. The Lord wants us to be humble and broken before Him. He can't work in our life if we're full of ourselves. We should come before Him with this attitude. Lord, I need You. I cannot save myself. I cannot right my wrongs without you. And when we come before him with that kind of spirit, his ear is inclined towards us. 
Let me give to you a second necessary partner of prayer. We need to have faith in God. James 1, 4 to 6 says this, but, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I read that scripture and it is so clear to me The prayer that is filled with doubts is not going to get God's attention. But do you know what does get his attention? The prayer that is accompanied by faith. And I find it interesting, over and over again in Scripture, the thing that impresses Jesus the most is people's faith And the thing that seems to depress him the most was when people lacked faith. In fact, I want to read to you some scriptures that give evidence to what I just said. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you follow along with me and see this in scripture. And you might even want to mark it down in your Bible that Jesus gets really excited when he sees people's faith. Okay, Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 5, reading through verse 10, and then we'll jump to 13. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he doesn't. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Look at verse 13. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. What was it that really excited Jesus? It was the man's faith. He said, this this is what he said to his disciples once this fellow expressed such faith. He turned to them and he said, this is better than hot apple pie and ice cream on it. <laughs> well, he really didn't say that, but that's what he meant. I mean, I like hot apple pie and ice cream. and I, Man, this is good stuff, Jesus is saying. How about Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. I want to read that to you from the New Living Translation. I liked how that particular translation treated this passage. Chapter 15 of Matthew, beginning with verse 21, reading through verse 28. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. 
But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all of her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, Your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. What was it that got Jesus excited? It was the woman's faith. Now let me read to you, back in the New American Standard, another passage that goes in a different direction. Okay, Matthew chapter 8 again, verses 23 through 26. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. I want to ask you, which camp are you in? Are you in that camp that Jesus would be commending for your faith? Or are you you in that camp that Jesus would be rebuking you for your faith? I have to be honest with you. For me, it may depend on the day. (laughs) Maybe you can relate with that too. But I... Oh, how we need to be trying to have that faith in Jesus that would please him and excite him. We have every reason to have faith. There's nothing that he can't do. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Our church needs some mountain movers. Amen? I want to be a mountain mover. By the way, where does faith come from? It comes from being in this book. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. As you and I are in this book and we see great things that God has done in the past, you know what it does to our faith? It increases our faith. As I read the story of David and Goliath, such as I did just two weeks ago out of, out of 1 Samuel, I read that story, and, and, and it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And, and again, I just felt like I was on a front row seat watching that battle take place in that valley. 
the Philistines on one side, the Israelites on the other, and little old David facing the giant Goliath. And David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord, and he will deliver you into my hand. And that's exactly what happened. As I read that story and and come away from there, I'm thinking, if God can do that for David, he can do that for me too. When I'm facing the giants in my life, God can help me win the battle. And as I read the story of Jericho and the walls come tumbling down, as I read the story of Daniel and the lion's den, as I read that story of the three men in the fiery furnace and, and they survive that and there's a fourth one in the furnace with them, when I read those kinds of stories in Scripture and I see what God is doing for His people, do you know what it does to my faith? It increases my faith. And, and I can say, Lord, if you did it for them, you can do it for me. That's why Paul said in Romans 10... Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. When we are in the book, our faith can increase. But if you're one who's not in the book, and you're not reading those stories, and you're not hearing what God is doing in in the lives of His people, then it's not going to be helping your faith. We need to be pursuing faith because when you accompany faith with prayer, amazing things happen. There were a number of people last Sunday in the first service and the second service as well who came forward. And and I I had some folks say, you know, I couldn't come forward, but right there in my my, uh, place where I was standing, I, I prayed an extreme prayer. I had a request to God asking Him to do that which is extreme. And a lot of us, We're praying extreme prayers last Sunday, and hopefully we continued those prayers through this week. I'm thinking as our prayers are accompanied by faith, there will be a number of those prayers answered over the days ahead. I have one more point for you of what needs to accompany prayer, and and it's trust. And this, hear me say this, This is to balance out what I have just said about faith. Trust is saying, Lord, I'm going to hold on to you and I am going to praise you whether you answer my prayer the way I want you to or not. Because sometimes we don't see him moving those mountains that we're asking him to move. And I don't want you to, to have that be happening to you and you be thinking, well, I guess I don't have enough faith. I, my faith's not strong. That may not be the case at all. It's just maybe that his plan is different than your plan. Maybe he's seeing something that you're not seeing. And so what do we do in those circumstances? We hold on to him. We sang a song about holding on to him. Amidst the storm. That's what we do. This is what trust is. 
that we hold on to Him amidst the storms of life. We remember that He is God and we are not and His plan is much bigger than our plan and His ways are so much higher than our ways. We don't always understand Him and how He's working and why He's working in a certain way, but we trust Him. We trust Him. Because He has never failed us. And He is not about to start failing us. And we know that He will work everything for the good and for His glory. That is His promise. And that's a promise we can stand on. And let me say this, too. I think it takes more faith to accept a no answer from God than it does to accept a yes answer. For when we have that extreme prayer that is so close to our heart and we're praying and we're crying out to God for that answer and He says, no, I've I've got another way. For you to accept that, that's faith. That's faith at its best. And when we trust Him, He will make our paths straight. My very favorite passage of Scripture in all of the Bible, and it has carried me through the storms of life that I've gone through, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your paths straight. So I encourage you to trust Him. He's worthy of our trust. And the victory that He will bring to us when our time is finished here will be worth more than any problem we have ever faced. As he says, welcome home, child. Enter into my glory. What a day that will be. Let's pray. God, help us to trust you. Help us to have faith in you. As we do believe that you have some miracles ahead of us. You, you want to do some extreme things. And Father, just grow our faith. Help us to be broken before you, knowing that you are God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.